Welcome to the Possibility Podcast, hosted by the founders of Possibility, a nonprofit that provides positive opportunities of support for families affected by disability. A podcast for parents just like you, navigating life in the disability community as advocates, parents, and community leaders. And now here are your hosts, Wayne and Tina Cordova. Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Cordova, one of the founders of Possibility, a nonprofit creating positive opportunities of support for families affected by disability. This podcast is your compass through the disability journey, a resource by parents for parents. I'm flying solo today as our co-founder and executive director, Tina Cordova, is gearing up to join us in just a little bit. We're diving into IEP 101, unraveling the intricacies of the individual education plan. No matter your child's disability or diagnosis, you're about to discover how this tool can empower your child's education. But first, a quick note. If you want to dive deeper into today's episode and access some fantastic resources, head over to www.donorbox.org slash Possibility Podcast. A small donation goes a long way in helping us fulfill our mission, and it grants you access to all the notes, downloadables, and our heartfelt gratitude. Now, without further ado, let's dive right into the heart of the Possibility Podcast, our esteemed guest, Tina Cordova. Welcome, everybody, to the Possibility Podcast. This is going to be a monthly resource for parents of children with disabilities and beyond uh, to help us get uh, the information that we need so that we can navigate this life as parents, community leaders, and educators, and beyond. I am excited about today because today our episode is called IEP 101, and uh, I'm quite partial to this guest uh, I think that she is more than qualified to talk about this, but I also think that um, the the benefits of her background really kind of bring a lot to this. And so I'm just going to go ahead and bring her to the table. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Possibility Executive Director, Tina Cordova. Tina, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Doing good. Well, this is technically your podcast too, and <laughs> uh, but we wanted to have this first episode really be about, um, you know, talking about one of the biggest struggles that parents have when it comes to the education system, which is the IEP experience. And so uh, first, tell everybody about yourself, and then uh, we'll dive right in. All right. Well, I am Gina Cordova. I am Emily Cordova's mom. Uh, Emily has a number of diagnoses that uh, we deal with on a daily basis, and including cerebral palsy, epilepsy, um, developmental delay, and visual impairment, and so on and on and on and on. <laughs> um, but with that comes a lot of different challenges, including her education and her therapy needs and medical needs. So I have been kind of navigating this journey for almost 13 years. Um, she will be 13 in December. And along with that, I was a former educator here in Hernando County and West Palm Beach, Florida as well. So I have served in the educational uh, realm of things for 14 years before I did a career change of staying home with my daughter and taking care of her needs. And then um, we eventually uh, started our nonprofit and have been serving families for almost 10 years now um, in our community and uh, specifically families of children with disabilities. 
And now I am the executive director of Possibility. And one of the roles or the hats that I wear here at Possibility is an advocate. Um, So I have recently um, graduated with a certificate in disabilities and society through University of Florida. And I've also uh, graduated in 2021 as a partners in policy making um, graduate. And that is an advocacy leadership course through the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. And through those different experiences, as well as my own experiences and journey, um, I wear the hat as an advocate and just helping parents and empowering parents to know how to navigate this journey of raising a child with disabilities and especially in the realm of education. So when for as long as we've been doing this at Possibility, you know, we've come into so many different families that have had a need in this area when it comes to, you know, IEPs. And so tell us what an IEP is and uh, we'll kind of dive into, you know, from there on, you know, what um, what we need to know as a, as a parent, you know, going into their first IEP. All right. Well, first of all, um, an IEP is an acronym. And in education, unfortunately, everything is acronymed out. So (laughs) lots of letters and things to understand. So this is to help you kind of navigate through those um, acronyms. But IEP stands for Individual Education Plan. And that is specifically for a child um, or a young adult who is in the education system who has a form of diagnosis or a disability. And then they qualify for what's called an IEP and or a 504. So the 504 is a little bit different than the IEP. That means accommodations are in place to accommodate for their disability. But an IEP actually is an individualized education plan for specifically for that child with disability. And I think one of the things that, that's intimidating about the IEP is the fact that in, in order to get one, you you have to ask for one. So you you basically have to, you know, approach your school to begin that conversation. And then eventually it leads to a, a meeting, which could be a little bit of intim- a little bit intimidating because it's, you know, you're you're there as as the parent advocate and it's just you, um, you know, in there kind of trying to explain your child's needs. But uh, that's what this is for. Right. This is kind of meant to help kind of put everybody at ease and to equip equipped everybody to get into that that IEP meeting. Absolutely. Um, And just to reiterate how you qualify for an IEP is you do have to go through an evaluation process. Um, It could be an initial letter to your school or the school system um, to ask that the evaluation start, you know, getting in process. Um, It could be a diagnosis from your doctor uh, with a letter, um, with the doctor's letterhead and signature on it. And or uh, maybe you just have some concerns or maybe even a teacher has some concerns regarding your, your child's academics. And maybe they have tried some re- remediation or um, just interventions and things to try and help them make up for the gaps that maybe they have. And maybe those interventions are not working and the data is kind of proving that they need some additional supports and services. So there's a few different ways in which a child will qualify for it, but there does have to be some kind of diagnosis. Um, You can't just have um, like a child who's struggling with no diagnosis qualify for an IEP. So there must be some kind of diagnosis behind it. Um, And that can you know, be so broad. Um, there's a lot of different diagnoses that a child could qualify under um, 
to receive an IEP. And, you know, some of that kind of includes like autism spectrum disorder. It could be deaf or hard of hearing, developmentally delayed up until nine years old now. It used to be six. So that has changed. And so they have the state of Florida has actually um, increased that until the year of uh, nine years old. So that's really interesting how that has adapted and changed and how they've seen kids kind of developmentally grow differently in the last few years. Um, some others are emotional behavior disorders, cerebral palsy, uh, specific learning uh, disabilities. It could even be a visual impairment or a language impairment. A lot of kiddos kind of start out in the system, uh, maybe going through what's called Fiddlers. And Fiddlers is kind of a Florida developmental uh, disabilities. I don't know exactly the acronym that it stands for, but they actually start the process. We've established already there's a lot of acronyms. Yes. <laughs> they start the process for evaluations and typically they kind of determine if a child is speech language impaired. Um, and a lot of kiddos, usually at the age of three, will, will kind of have that language impairment and will start on that basis um, in receiving IEP and go into kind of an ESE pre-K system as well. And then they kind of graduate into the elementary system with their IEP, or they could graduate out of the ESC services as well. So so I will say this is uh, leading into all of this. You've already heard Tina talk about the state of Florida. So possibility is based in Florida currently, right? And so uh, a lot of what we're talking about here is going to be Florida specific. However, if you are out of state, uh, this can be a good and useful tool to help you approach your local school system as well, because a lot of it does still start the same way. It starts with the diagnosis. It starts with, you know, those letters of inquiry and everything. And so, you know, beginning, you know, that process. And so it's always important that if you are in a state other than Florida to make sure that you're checking with those local leaders and that, you know, state department when it comes to, you know, education and all that. So very important, you know, to know that. But with this being, you know, Florida and and we know kind of just uh, in in this navigation system, you know, when it, when it comes to that, there's a lot involved. It's not just like a quick fix, right? It's not just right. like a, you're not going to get there right away. That's why it's important to start early and and to get started in a way that, um, you know, you, you kind of begin to gather all your ducks in a row. Absolutely. And keeping paperwork and a paper trail is really important too. Um, and that could be even from emails that you send to the school system or teachers that you may have concern. Keep track of all of that. It's really, really important so that you have that to back up what your requests have been, when your requests were put in and submitted and so on and so forth. Um, and just so you know, the list of, di of disabilities and diagnosis that I listed is very limited. Um, there's a number of other diagnoses that do qualify for IEPs, but getting into the heart of this podcast and kind of an IEP 101 and what the goal is of setting up an IEP, um, just so that you know, ESE is Exceptional Student um, Services. So it's like special education or exceptional student education is what it stands for. And their goal overall, and this is set up by the state of Florida. Um, so every school system within the state and even without uh, outside of Florida, as Wayne said, is to help each student with a disability to progress. And that's the important part, to progress in school and prepare them for life after school. So that is the main goal. That's kind of the umbrella goal of ESE and services is to really help students progress in their education and prepare them for a life after school, whatever that may be, whether they go on to college, whether they go on to a trade school, whether they go on to... Um, even just receiving a certificate, uh, whatever it may be, getting a job, 
Uh, we want to help them obtain as much independence as possible. And so getting those early interventions starting as early as possible, as Wayne said, is important so that you can give them the foundations that they need in order to grow and progress. So from there, um, where do we where, where do we head next? So you've started the evaluation process and now you've kind of requested an IEP team. So now you have a diagnosis. You're bringing that to the table. Now you're going to have a, um, a meeting with, with an, what's called your IEP team. And please know this is supposed to be a team effort. It is not them versus you. It's not parents versus teachers or teachers versus uh, parents and therapists. This is a team effort. You're supposed to come to the table together as a team to create what an education plan that is best for your child. Um, and please know, you know your child best. So everything that you have to bring to the table should have utmost value to the conversation as well. So you have your evaluations. You're going to have an eligibility determination meeting. And then you're going to be developing your first individual education plan. And that is going to take some time because you're developing goals and you're developing uh, needs and services that your child needs. And sometimes you're going to put, it's going to be loaded at first. And then as you see them progress and meeting those goals, you can kind of scale back as needed, or you can add more depending on how they're doing. You'll also have consent of services, uh, meaning if they're going to receive speech and language, if they're going to receive occupational therapy, physical therapy, or even visual um, or even um, interpretation services, you're consenting. They're going to give you a paper to sign to consent to receive those services. Those services will not start until you sign that. So that's important too. Um, and then of course, following those IEP meetings, you will, or those I, that first initial IEP meeting, you will have annual reviews. So that will happen every year. Um, and then of course, reevaluations, which typically happen every three years following that initial evaluation. So they want to see the progress um, occurring. And, um, but also note, if at any time something's not working, and I mean any time something's not working or a goal is not being met or you're, you feel like your child is struggling, you can always call an IEP meeting, bring everybody back to the table, revamp, amend, and reassess um, what those initial goals are or what that plan is. So at any time during the year, and it doesn't even matter, it could be two or three times during the year. Um as long as you just kind of come with an open mind and bring it to the team and get, bring everybody's attention to it and you guys can work together. So it's important to know, you know, number one, uh, show up to this meeting and to show up, you know, prepared as much as possible ahead of time. Come with great attitude. Come mm -hmm. with an attitude of we're coming together with a team. We're not, it's not us versus them because there is no versus. We're all, we're all in this together to provide our child, you know, the best public education as possible. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, from there on, that's the thing that I think sometimes we don't really realize is that it's not a one and done thing. It's not the IEP. Then that happens and you set it and you forget it. Mm -hmm. It's you know, you're, you're monitoring it. You're involved in your child's education. And if you see that something isn't quite where it needs to be, you can call that meeting back and, and do that. It's not a, um, you know, oh, well, and we'll try again next time. The, the next time is as is as soon as you guys can Get, get together and, and meet again, right? It is. Um, they do say to ask for about six weeks so that data can be collected. So right. everything is data driven. So that means your evaluations, that's your data and based on why they're getting an IEP. The same thing for all the educational goals that you put in place or even service goals that you put in place. And service goals could be therapies, uh, your occupational, physical, speech language therapies. If 
in six weeks after they've implemented those goals, those goals are not being obtained, or maybe a child has superseded those goals, mastered them very quickly, then we need to revisit and extend those goals, or we need to um, amend them and make them either A, more challenging, or B, make them more achievable. Um, And we're going to talk about developing goals in a little bit, but I do want to make sure that you understand that there does need to be some time in between the initial meeting and the next meeting so that you can, so that the teacher, the therapist, and those on your team can develop some kind of data to prove whether they are progressing or they are regressing um, or not meeting the goals that were set in place. So you do want to have some kind of data backup giving some time. So you can't just set a goal and like in two weeks say, oh, this is not working. Let's throw up our hands and try again. There needs to be a little bit of time in between so that you can, again, have data tracked uh, to prove whether it's progress or um, either stagnant or regression. That's great. Yeah, and it takes it, it takes commitment on, yeah. on everybody's part to make that happen. And staying on top of that, communicating with the teacher, communicating with the therapist, um, having daily communication, keeping track of, you know, whatever it is that your teachers and therapists are using, whether it's a an app system where they're collecting points or whether it's uh, an, an agenda that they're signing and communicating with you daily, whether it's a form that you've designed or the teacher has designed to be able to keep track. But there needs to be some kind of daily communication of what they're achieving or if not daily, at least at the very least, weekly communication to ensure that your child is working towards those goals. What are they doing to meet those goals? How many opportunities have they received during that week? And then how are they doing? So you need to have all of that. And that, again, you can bring to the table in that six-week time to kind of um, have a better understanding of if they're progressing towards these goals and mastering them or if they are just not achievable for that child. That's a good word. So uh, what, what comes next after that? So just kind of understanding an IEP, um, there there are laws that do protect or, or provide rights to the parents as well as the child. Um, so, of course, the initial ADA, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in 1990, but more specifically, the IDEA or Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that is a provision of free and appropriate public education along with least restrictive environment. So this is a provision of supports and related services to help your child succeed. And that's the key is helping your child succeed. So we're going to kind of talk about free and appropriate public education. And that is the right of every child, no matter what disability or um, diagnosis they have, meaning that every student receives services, accommodations, and or modifications and other supports and designed by the IEP team to help the child achieve annual goals and make adequate progress in the general education or curriculum at no cost to the parent. So this is covering the cost of all of those services. They don't have to bill your insurance. They will ask for your insurance information, but they do not necessarily bill your insurance information, especially if you're on Medicaid. Um, But it is providing the access to that free and appropriate. And the key is appropriate. What is appropriate for your child? What is their setting? What is... um, what teacher, what services they receive, curriculum goals. Are they going to be able to navigate to understand the general education curriculum or do they need to have a modified curriculum and be on what's called access points? Um, or, you know, are they going to kind of create different goals or different educational aspects for them? What it does not include 
is what we call potential maximizing education, meaning that everything is given to them. Everybody bends over backwards to cater to your child. That doesn't necessarily mean that that everything and anything you ask for has to be provided. We want to make sure that your child is put into what's called a least restrictive environment. And that means providing an educational setting that is appropriate and meaningful for your child to progress in their educational goals. And so sometimes parents want to go in and ask for the moon. And sometimes the moon is just not doable or it's just not right for your child. So for example, a lot of parents think that their child deserves a one-on-one. Well, Some children do absolutely need that one-on-one paraprofessional or support in the school system. But a lot of parents who go in don't understand that that one-on-one is the most restrictive environment because you're placing someone who is catering after your child's educational needs. And so that means that you have somebody there to help them eat to help them feed, to make sure they're going to the bathroom, to make sure that they are doing their their work, making, you know, setting um, time schedules, t- setting routines, helping them navigate through the day very dependently, not independently, very dependently. They're relying on that person to guide them through every step of the day. And that's restrictive. And so the goal of the IDEA, the the law that's put in place, is to provide least restrictive environment by allowing children to grow and gain independence as much as possible. And so sometimes when we're asking for one-on-ones, and like I said, in some instances, it is absolutely appropriate for children. But in most cases, there are ways around to provide a least restrictive environment for that child because it's not, again, their dependence on someone guiding them through the day, it's they need certain structures or they need certain routines or they need certain goals set for them that they can obtain on their own and gain the independence. Because remember, the ultimate umbrella goal of ESE or exceptional student education is to help them with their lifelong goals, to help them succeed in life beyond the school system. So we do want to make sure we keep that in mind. So in a sense, when you're asking for a one-on-one, you're, you're, you're asking for a shadow, yeah. you know, and, exactly. and and that person is going to be there and over, you know, everything that they do. It may not necessarily be the best fit or what is most necessary for your child to succeed in school. Exactly. Exactly. So, and like you said, like a shadow. So that is pretty restrictive if you have somebody who's right. kind of honing over your child all the time and ensuring. So they're not really learning on their own necessarily what they need to do and the routines and schedules that they need to follow. And the progress in their goals sometimes is, you know, dependent on that one-on-one as well. So, but again, in some instances, like I said, it is absolutely necessary, but in others, in probably most cases, it's not. That IDEA that you just talked about, mm-hmm. that was another acronym. You snuck that in there. I know, but I <laughs> I did explain it earlier. Yeah, I know. It's that Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. We should have um, a uh, we should have an acronym counter every time an acronym pops you're up. Right. You ring a bell. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, so some other I, things about least restrictive environment is um, just keeping in mind the mo- the least restrictive is putting your child into a general education classroom and then accommodations or modifications being made within the general education classroom for them is that's the least restrictive. So if we start there, which sometimes we start on the opposite end, we start with most restrictive and then start pushing them into more least restrictive environments. But ideally, 
the the point of that law is to provide least restrictive. So we should start them in a general education program or classroom without any kind of accommodation. You know, at first, that's where we're starting. Then we start implementing the accommodations and or modifications. We start putting in the services. We start putting in the supports um, to kind of then develop this individualized education plan that will help support them gaining independence and progress along the way. So a lot of the times we start with self-contained classrooms or one-on-one, you know, education or, you know, application, things like that. Sometimes we move into what's called maybe medically fragile or, you know, something that's more restrictive, you know, getting your child outside of that general education um, classroom. And so typically in an IEP meeting, we should start with the least restrictive, then start building in some of those um, supports and services to kind of help them. Because in this You got to think about if we're putting a child in a general education classroom, we are providing peers for them to learn from and then vice versa. The peers can learn from our child with disability as well. And so then we're creating a culture of inclusion. And so when we're creating a culture of inclusion, we're providing an opportunity for all kids to just be kids. And then we're also providing the supports and the accommodations needed to help our specific child with a disability to succeed in that same environment as every other child. And so with that, we could call that least restrictive environment. It's a great thought too. And just to be able to have an environment where everybody's learning from each other, everybody is growing as an individual. And then you end up um, with a child who is developing relationships, not just because of a room that they are placed in or, yeah. or but they are in a room directly with their peers and they're getting those social skills, you know, mm-hmm. that are needed. They're getting that peer interaction, like act, interaction, like our daughter loves peer interaction and she loves being able to have that uh, environment where she is, you know, closely interacting with the other kids in her class. Um, and again, that's, you know, you can, you can severely restrict that based mm-hmm. on some of the accommodations that you ask for. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of school systems will start with that most restrictive environment and then start trickling or pulling those supports away when it needs to be the opposite mindset where we're starting with the least restrictive and then start, you know, adding in some of those supports and services. So, okay, so now we've called and brought our team together to the table and we're going to start developing this individualized education plan for our child or children. Um, So just know that that team is a gathering of a number of people. So it could be the student, if the student is old enough and appropriate uh, to attend that meeting. Some Most of the time when we're starting out with an individual education plan, it's a, a very young child, so it may not be you know age appropriate for them to attend. But if you have an older child who maybe was diagnosed at an older age, they can definitely come to the table and attend. So parents would be involved in that meeting. You may have guidance counselors or counselors in the school. There may be even a psychologist who's done a recent evaluation of your child. School administrators, you may have them. And that could be anywhere from your principal to assistant principal to your data entry person to um, someone who kind of oversees assessments. Uh, Could be a math coach even um, could be involved in that or even a reading coach. Others who are familiar with the case, and we're going to come back to that one, special education teacher. So there should be what's called an ESE teacher you know, exceptional student education teacher, and then a general education teacher. Because you want somebody at that team to kind of bring to the table what are other students 
um, in your child's grade level doing. Um, and so that's the purpose of them being there. A lot of the times the general education teacher is dismissed, especially if our child is on access points or is in a self-contained classroom. Um, and that shouldn't be. That general education teacher should be brought to the table and she should be able to um, provide what are other kids doing at your child's grade level? What should they be doing? What are they achieving? What kind of goals and uh, standards are they learning? So that everything that your child is doing and working toward is age appropriate. So that's really important too. The others who are familiar with your case, this is where I open it up for parents to invite people in. So it could be therapists that are that service your child at the school, but it could also be therapists that service your child privately. Maybe you attend uh, outside services or therapies. You can bring them into the table. Maybe you can even bring a good friend of yours who helps you with your kid every once in a while or babysits, maybe even a babysitter. Um, anybody who can bring value to the table and knowing what your child can and cannot do or limits and, and what you know they enjoy, all of those people can be brought to the table. You are not limited on the number of people that you can invite. You can have as many people as you want there. You could also bring in an advocate Say you're nervous, you're scared, you need somebody to, to ensure that's on your side and doing what is best for you as well as your child, you can bring an advocate in. Which is something that you do and you've done, you know, uh, multiple times is 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 go and, and be there for the family. It's it's kind of it's one of the things that, that we do at Possibility as part of our core values. Yes, absolutely. So as that one hat that I wear as an advocate, that's what I do to help support families as well, is sit in these IEP meetings and help them navigate and help them ensure that they understand all of the verbiage that's being talked about, all the services that are acronyms, (laughs) (laughs) um, all the services that are being brought to the table and just helping them, again, navigate and understand what is being brought to the table or what the plans are, what, you know, those educational experts, as we we say, um, are, are saying or help planning for your child. Um, so now you have everybody at the table. So what are we focusing on? So th- what we're focusing on is the student's abilities. So we want to know what is the child's strengths? What does the child bring to the table? What are they able to do? What do they enjoy doing? And we want to start from there because we don't want to start from a level of frustration. We want to start from a level of success, a level that they can succeed at and then work in how do we meet those um, areas of frustration or those areas of, of challenge. So we also want to focus on goals for the student. There's a number of different goals that are brought to the table through the IEP process. Now, the goals, what we, um, I try to kind of teach parents are SMART goals. Um, So SMART goals can be specific. What does your child want? And that's another acronym. I was going to ring that bell. (laughs) (laughs) So it's another acronym, but we want to make sure it's a specific goal. What are we asking them to achieve? Um, specifically, uh, laying that out in the IEP. We want to make sure it's measurable. How is the parent or the teacher and the therapist, how are they going to measure their success? Is it going to be through a tally system based upon participation? Is it going to be grades? Is it going to be um, specific numbers at like a ratio, like three out of five or five out of 10? things like that. So is it measurable? We want to make sure it's measurable. We want to make sure we put in action words. What is the child expected to do in, um, during that goal process? What are they expected to do or achieve? So we want to make sure it's, it's a verb um, that they're actually doing something. And then also, this is really important. The R in SMART is realistic. 
We want to make those goals realistic for the child that they are obtainable by the end of the year. Remember, you have an annual review at the end of the year. Once you put these goals in place, they are reviewed at the end of the school year. And the the schools have that full year in which to help that child obtain the goal. But remember, if that goal becomes too challenging at any point and they're not succeeding or they've superseded the goal and they've mastered it, you can always come back to the table to amend it. But realistically, those goals should be set for the year end goal so that they have a whole school year to obtain and to master. But we also want to make sure they're a little bit challenging. So let's say a child is able to solve three out of five addition questions, let's just say, you know, at the point of the IEP. Well, the goal may be at the end of the year for them to to be able to uh, complete 20 questions by the end of the year. Okay, so that's obtain that's definitely realistic yeah. and obtainable based upon that. So we want to make sure that it is, you know, definitely realistic, but yet challenging because I know right now they're doing three out of five, but maybe by the first nine weeks, they're going to get that five. Then second nine weeks, they're going to get that 10. And then third nine weeks, they're going to get that 15. And then by the fourth nine weeks, they're going to have 20. The point is progress. The point is progress. Absolutely. So you have short-term goals in there too, but we want to make sure again, they're a little bit outside of their reach because we're challenging them but we don't want to get them to a level of frustration where they're never going to meet those goals. So if we wouldn't do, if they're achieving three out of five, we wouldn't do 50 questions by the end of the year. That's just a little bit out, outrageous for them. So we want to, again, make it obtainable or realistic. And then timed. So typically those goals last for that school year, but maybe there's a short-term goal and that's within the first two, nine weeks. So you can have that. And then you, again, you can come back and revisit. How are they doing? Are they working toward mastery on that goal or is it just too difficult? And let's put that time frame in the IEP so that we can revisit and we can visit that goal again and see if they are making progress. And if you feel like you don't have a, a wealth of knowledge on, on creating those goals, you will have help. It's not like... Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to know everything before you come to the table because you're going to have to gather up all that info and everybody is there at that table for a reason. Exactly. This is the team effort um, that everybody at the table is working together to uh, to create those goals and to make them obtainable for your child. Awesome. And that's what's the beauty of individualized education plan, yeah. that IEP, because it is individual to your student, your child. And so I just, I, I love that it, yeah, it's that's the beauty and and in making sure that those goals are smart. Um, okay, so now we've created goals towards their academic achievement, um, and so the last parts that they typically um, put into the IEP. And remember, this is one hundred and one, so it's very basic, but it is yet a lot of information. Um, and maybe in our one hundred and two. <laughs> Um, we can kind of dive in a little bit deeper into some of these other things. But something else that they may bring to the table are services or related services. Something else they may call is supplementary aids and support for personnel. So these are services such as occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech language therapy. They may also bring in a VI, which is a visual impairment instructor. Um, so they may put these people in place to help bring in accommodations and supports to help your child succeed in school. Now, please know, as a side note, 
that the therapist within your school system is helping your child succeed in the academic setting. It is not necessarily meeting individualized goals like a private therapist. So their goal is to make sure that they are as successful as they can be within the school system. So occupational therapy may focus on holding a pencil or holding a marker to be able to color and write and draw versus occupational therapy working specifically on grasp or holding hands up or, you know, protecting yourself from falling, things like that. Physical therapy is working on the success of navigating through the school setting, making sure that they can walk through the hallways safely, making sure they can get, you know, from the floor to the chair, from a chair to the, you know, wheelchair maybe, helping transitioning, things like that. It's like private therapies are more like, um, like lifestyle independence, you know, versus, when you're in school and you're in those therapies, those are school-based independence. Exactly. You know, being able to, you know, being able to function within the classroom. Exactly. And sometimes these services happen within a group setting. So they're not individualized. Whereas a private therapy, it's one-on-one. Right. Whereas in a school system, it's maybe three to five, you know, <laughs> kids in a group that your your child is working with. Very rarely do they do a one-on-one setting, but there are some instances in which it does happen, um, but that's pretty rare because typically they have 120 students on their caseload and they have to be able to meet those needs and um, work with those students. So they usually typically put them in, in groups together. Which can also be goals. A, a good thing because, you know, especially if, you know, if your child thrives on, you know, being able to kind of work on something together as a group or being cheered on or, mm-hmm. you know, being encouraged by others making progress as well. Sometimes we see that and, um, and we think, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be individual. It's going to be in a group setting. But the positive of that is, again, peer interaction, group interaction, and being able to succeed in a goal where, you know, everybody's, everybody's working. Everybody's working, you know, together in a way that, hey, I, I can be encouraged. They're hitting their goals. Mm-hmm. I can hit my goals. Exactly. And like we've said before, that peer interaction, you know, peer-to-peer teaching and tutoring, things like that is very valuable in the school setting as well. We're learning from each other. Um, The other thing is accommodations and modifications. So accommodations are specifically changes to the way a student accesses instruction and demonstrates learning. So we're going to change the way that they access that instruction versus a modification changes what the student is expected to learn. So for example, an accommodation of a general education standard, let's go back to that addition, those addition problems. Now the student may have the accommodation to use manipulatives to help them solve those problems. Manipulatives are like little tokens or bears or counters or something like that to help them do that that addition problem and to see and physically move those objects to be able to solve it. Versus a modification might be maybe a child is not quite to the addition, you know, standard. They need to understand what numbers are. So now they're they're understanding the value. So you can still have the number four, but you may have four bears to show the number four. And you're now getting a modification. So you're understanding the value of numbers. Then you can start adding on to those numbers versus the accommodation of actually using a tool or a support to help them in their learning. Um, So it's a little bit of different um, way, but accommodations are put into place, and there's a number of accommodations again, maybe in our 102 that we can go over and understand better what those accommodations are. Um, but it helps them access the instruction and demonstrate their learning. So, um, 
those are going to be put into place. And that is going to um, apply for everyday learning, as well as when tests and evaluations are given, as well as when state tests are given, those accommodations and or modifications will be put into place. Assessments, they're going to talk about the different assessments that are given to your child depending on their grade level, um, whether it's end of the year tests or whether it's um, quarterly tests. The state of Florida is kind of rolling out this fast test and best tests right now. Um, so I have to dive in a little deeper to understand that myself. So again, maybe 102, we can kind of learn a little bit more about that. More acronyms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um and so there's a lot of these other assessments coming out and rolling out and with accommodations to put in place for your child to be able to take those assessments um, on an annual basis. And then again, creating their placement, um, selecting whether they will start in the general education classroom or a self-contained or resource room or hospital homebound or whatever that restrictive or least restrictive environment may be. Then also in there as well are parent input or notes. So this is really important too, because this is where whatever was not covered in the IEP through the academic goals, um, services and supports, accommodations or modifications, any concerns that the parent may have, that goes into this part of the IEP. So that means anything that the parent may be requesting, whether it's an additional evaluation, um, whether it's something that you want to bring to the table that you've gotten an outside source evaluation that you want to bring to the table, whether you're asking about a bus issue or concern, it could be um, maybe a a dietary need or something like that. It could be, be a, a drop-off pickup situation. A drop-off pickup situation. Yeah. So specifically uh, for our daughter, we've asked for a later drop-off time and an earlier pickup time right. to, so that she's not outside in the, the heat for a long period of time waiting for us to pick up to get through the traffic. It is Florida. <laughs> <laughs> also versus the drop-off and especially like during COVID, we didn't want her to be in large crowds of people. So we asked for a later time to drop off so she didn't have to navigate her way through a large crowd of the students um, to just, you know, kind of help with her safety, safety and health during that time. But it also just helps her kind of roll right in and get started with the day versus waiting for all the students to arrive. Right. So um, those are things too. Yes, they can be on the parent input or notes. And it's the most important part because this is where you're putting all of your requests and all of your asks into the IEP. And it could be, again, dressing as little or as big uh, of issues that you may have. Um, it could even be as currently one of some of the schools have been having uh, air conditioning issues it could be as if the AC is out, the parent needs to be called immediately so that the child will be picked up because maybe the AC or the lack of, you know, cool air, you know, may set your child off for behaviors right. or may set your child off for seizures or, you know, something else significant. So if the, you know, if that's in the IEP, the, the teacher has to abide by that and provide parent notification so that the child can be picked up. One of the things that we... um should kind of, you know, focus on when it comes to the IEP is the fact that once this IEP is put together, it's a legal document. Mm -hmm. It's not, this isn't just like a set of guidelines or some suggestions or tips on how to help my child, you know, be educated. It's a, it's a legal and binding document. Absolutely. So it must be, you know, followed. It must be abided by. Um, And if at any time something is not being done, that is where you can a, come back to the team and address those issues. Right. 
Or B, when we get into IEP 103, <laughs> we can talk about a due process. So right. if something is not being done, there is a due process in which you report to the state. And that gets a little bit ugly and hairy sometimes. But sometimes even it can rectify a situation very quickly, too, because you're bringing it to the attention of those who really need to you know, be aware. But also as a help, it's one of those things that yeah. it, it's important for parents to know that, uh, again, this isn't, um, you know, this isn't a meeting where uh, things could get written down and forgotten. This is mm-hmm. a this is a binding document that, you know, when everybody comes together, they put the work in to make this plan. It's a real plan that you can go ahead and, and, and put in place. And it makes it paints a better picture for you. Um, for you know how your child's day, week, school year is going to go, and so on the positive side of it is that when you come together and you and you put this information together as a parent, as a child, as a family, and as a team, you know of of, of educators, everybody can get on literally the same page because it is that document you know that that lays things out. It it, it helps the teachers know you know, from, from year to year, you know, even if your child changes, you know, schools or changes teachers and all that, there's at least a guideline for everybody to look at and go, nope, this was the standard last year. When we come back to our next meeting, we're going to see about, you know, either working towards the standard again or progressing to something even further. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just really important that parents take the time to be prepared going in, but also having a voice during um, during the meeting is so important because parental involvement is is just key to your mm-hmm. child's success. Like just because they are what some people may refer to as the experts of education doesn't mean you're not the expert of your child. So that's why when you come to the table, you, your husband, or even your team of people that you've invited to come along with you, you are the experts of your child. So you're bringing all your expertise of what you know about your child to the table. They are bringing the expertise of education, yes, but you work together as a team. It's, again, not the us versus them mentality. It's coming together to the table to develop and design an individualized education plan that is successful for your child. And again, gives you peace of mind, knowing that your child is going to have a successful year, knowing what their goals are for the year and helping them, um, whether carrying through at home, whatever those goals are, assisting the teachers, volunteering in the schools, being present um, and available for your teachers to be able to reach out to, to help you know your child succeed. So very important um, to just ensure that throughout the school year, you know, your child is is doing well and that this IEP is specifically um, successful for them. And peace of mind is some of the best respite that you can have is being able to know that, you know, you've done everything you can and all the, you know, all the ducks are lined up Mm -hmm. uh, for a successful school year. Absolutely. So respite is, you know, something that we kind of rest our hats on too. And what we do with possibility is provide respite for families. So just the, the mindset, uh, having peace, knowing that your child is attended to cared for, that there are goals in place and, you know, academic, um, goals that are set for them that are obtainable and that you have had a voice in creating because, you know, your child does help your mind kind of be at ease and knowing that your child is taken care of and that their school day is successful for them. And um, again, just provides, like you said, that respite. Excellent. Anything else we should know? There's a lot more, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so what we're going to do um, for this, first off, Tina, thank you so much 
uh, for all of this. This has just been a wealth of knowledge. This is only IEP 101. And as Tina said, we're going to come back. We're going to revisit this and, and you know, kind of uh, continue this journey on. And hopefully, uh, you know, this will continue to be of help to you. If you would like access to some of our slides and if you would like access to a really cool worksheet that Tina put together that you can take with you into an IEP meeting, uh, all you have to do is go to donorbox.org slash possibility podcast. Donorbox.org slash possibility podcast. We are a nonprofit uh, and uh, this is what we do. And so we do what we can so we can help more families. And so by making a donation of any amount at donorbox.org slash possibility podcast, you will receive a link that'll give you all the resources that we talked about here uh, during this episode. I can help you out uh, when it comes to uh, your IEP meetings. And then we'll continue this on uh, in the coming months as well. We'll have plenty of other topics that we're going to be covering and other guests coming and joining us as well. And so we hope you've enjoyed the Possibility Podcast. Tina, thank you so much for, uh, thanks for on the first episode, being on the other side of the host chair. (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure. I love um, empowering parents and helping them uh, navigate through the system. So that's what I'm here for. And any questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me. And that's a wrap on another insightful episode of the Possibility Podcast. It was an enlightening conversation with our co-founder and executive director, Tina Cordova, as we delved into the world of IEP 101. We've learned how the individual education plan can be a powerful tool in shaping your child's educational journey, regardless of their disability or diagnosis. Remember, you can catch all the details and additional resources by visiting www.donorbox.org slash possibility podcast. Your generous support keeps the wheels turning on this podcast and helps our nonprofit continue its vital work. But wait, there's more to possibility than just this podcast. We're on a mission to provide positive opportunities of support for families affected by disability. From kids club to parent recharge to creative possibility to moms and dads community and accessible community events, we're here to make a real impact. Your donations make all this possible. For a deeper look into our initiatives and to learn more about what we do, head over to www.possibility.life. Thank you for joining us on this journey of inspiration, empowerment, and positivity. Stay tuned for more episodes packed with valuable insights. Until next time. Music